We are continuing the series that we have been in called Life of Paul. This is going to be Life of Paul uh, Part 6. And in fact, this is Life of Paul Series Number 2, Part 6, which means earlier in the year, we already did Life of Paul Series Number 1. It was about 14 weeks long, and it was like the early part, the early life of Paul. And so now we're moving on to like the next part of his story. So this is Series 2. We're now six weeks into the second part of, life, of, of Paul's life. And we are now at the point where he is going on his second missionary journey. For those of you who don't know, Paul is a Bible character in the New Testament. He's a preacher and a missionary. And um, at this point that we're at in the story, he is going on his, uh, he is at the beginning of his second missionary journey. And what I want to do this morning is I want to change, our, change up our format just a little bit and tell this story a little bit out of chronological order. Um, this is something that sometimes people do as they tell stories, and they do it for a reason. Have you ever seen in books or in TV or in movies where a story is told out of chronological order? Okay, good. Much better than the first service. They acted like they've never heard of this in their life. I was like, do not own a TV. Um, so uh, TV shows, movie, books, we see this where, in fact, the most famous way that it's done or the, the most common way that it's done is a flashback scene. You've seen flashback scenes, right? So there's the present day, whatever the present day is in the story, and then they go back like 20 years earlier than whatever the present day is of the story, and they show something that happened 20 years earlier. Why? Well, typically, the reason that they do that is not to just be cool or to just show stories out of order or to be confusing. It's because they're trying to show you that something that happened 20 years before the present-day story sheds light on the present-day story, right? It, 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 it helps you inform you how to, how to understand the story. So if you have um, like a regular, you know, whatever show, and then it, go, it goes back 20 years, and then it shows this grandmother, and she's putting a necklace on her 13-year-old granddaughter in like a ceremonious sort of way, and then you see that scene, and then it ends, and then it jumps 20 years to the present. And now the 13-year-old girl is now a 33-year-old woman, and she's wearing that same necklace as she's going to see her grandmother for the last time. And as, they sh like, as the camera zooms in on the necklace, you go like, oh, that's why they showed the flashback scene. That's why they showed it out of order, because they wanted you to realize this thing that happened is very connected to this thing that is happening. So... There's another storytelling device that's a little bit less often used than a flashback, and it's called a flash forward. Have you seen this? Yeah, you have the present day, and then you go forward 20 years or so, and then something that happens in those characters' future sheds light on what's happening in their present, and you can understand what's going on now because you know where the story is going to end up, and that's what I want to do this morning. This morning, I want to do a flash forward in the life of Paul. We have been going through the book of Acts. We've been mostly going verse by verse, going in order, but we've come to a place where I think it would be a good spot for, this would be a good time for us to jump forward several years and talk about something that, that happens later so that it causes us to look at what's happening right now in the story differently. And so I want to do a flash forward from Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is the passage that we have been in. These last two weeks, our associate pastor, Doug Davison, has preached out of Acts chapter 16. And last week in particular, he taught verses 11 through 40, when Paul and Silas and Timothy go to Philippi. And he talked about three different incidents that happened in Philippi. Remember that? Lydia and the girl that got the demon cast out of her and the Philippian jailer. And so he taught that story last week, so that's Acts chapter 16. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to just read a few excerpts from that chapter. For those of you that were here last week, this should be a reminder of where we are in the story. And for those of you that were not here, this hopefully helps establish like, the present in the story. Like We can't flash forward to the future until we've established, well, what are we flashing forward from? Right? So it's Acts chapter 16, this story. So here it is, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 12. And from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, 
which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days. So this is the setting. The place that they were right at this point, right, the place that Doug was preaching about was they were there in Philippi. That was the name of the city. It was a Roman colony, which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia. So, so Philippi is the city. Macedonia is the, the region that it's in. Both of those names are going to matter. Okay, Philippi, the city. Macedonia is the region. And it says we stayed in that city for a number of days. How many days did they stay in, in that city? Well, we don't know. A number, right? Well, there's a lot of numbers. Right? So I, I don't know, for a number of days. Um, but I think you can tell by the way the story is written, it's not just like two or three. Okay, when it says they stayed there for a number of days, I think they were there for a little while. Later on in the story, there's the part that says that there was the slave girl that was demon-possessed, remember, and she walked around following them as they were preaching. And the story says that she followed them around for many days. So how many days did they stay in Philippi? Well, I don't know, but one of the things that happened in the story is someone followed them around for many days. So there's at least many days, plus however many other days there were that this girl wasn't following them around. So maybe it was a week, maybe it was a month, maybe it was six or seven weeks. I don't know how long they stayed there, but they stayed there for a number of days. Now, the first character they meet, at least the first character that we know of with a name, her name is Lydia, and she comes up in verse 14. Do you remember her from last week? Verse 14, a woman named Lydia... A dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Lord who we are to obey, the Savior who died on the cross. However Paul phrased it, he preached the gospel and the Lord opened her heart and she became a believer. She became a, a follower of Jesus. Verse 15, after she and her household were baptized... Right? So apparently her and all of her household, they all came to believe, be believers in Jesus. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So here Lydia is, and she says to Paul and Silas and Timothy and probably Luke, she says as she's talking to all of them, hey, if you think this is for real, if you think I really love Jesus, I really believe in this, if I'm really one of you, why don't you stay at my house? And so they did. Now, how long did they stay at her house? Well, it doesn't say, but I think it's probably best for us to assume, especially as the story goes on, I think you'll see this, probably the whole time they were in Philippi. They didn't have hotels and motels back then. It wasn't like, well, sure, we'll stay at your house for one night, and then we'll go and check into our suite, right? No, they didn't have anywhere better to stay anyway. So when she said, you want to stay with us? They were probably like, yes, right? And so there they are now living with her. Now, maybe it was six days, seven days, eight days. Maybe it was six or seven weeks, but the thing that I want you to see with this part of the story is the relationship that Paul and Silas and Timothy have with Lydia is not just like an acquaintance relationship. This is going to become something significant, won't it? Because they lived in the same house together. This is not going to be the same kind of relationship that you have with like other church people when you just show up at church and you see them for one hour a week, right? That's a particular kind of relationship. Hey, I see you one hour a week. That's not what's happening here. They stay in the same house for days, have you ever stayed in somebody's house for days, especially a non-relative, and you lived with them for a little while? Yeah, when I was, I think I was 19, and I was between apartment and house, and I didn't have somewhere to live for one month, and a friend of mine let me live in their living room for one month. And like, you just, there's something special about that. You get, to, you get to be a different kind of friend with that person when you just live with them for day after day, night after night. So here they are, and they stayed with Lydia, I think probably the, almost the whole time they were in Philippi. So then the thing happens with the demon-possessed girl, and they cast the demon out, and then the people get angry, and then Paul and Silas get thrown in prison, and then there's an uh, earthquake that happens that makes it to where they could potentially escape from the prison, and we'll pick up the story there in verse 27. 
When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. And that's because that would have been the penalty for him. You let the prisoners escape, you die. I think he thought, I think I can do this to myself better than they can. And so he was going to kill himself. And then Paul saves this guy's life. Look at verse 28. Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. We're still in our cells. You don't need to commit suicide. We're all still here. He says this to the jailer. So Paul saves his life. And then, verse 29, then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. This is an emotional moment. And then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. He was the jailer. These may have been wounds that he had put on them hours earlier. He washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. So now we see that Paul saved this guy's life and saved this guy's soul, right? I mean, Jesus is the one who saves our soul, but like through the preaching of Paul, this guy becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. So he's, they're going to have a pretty significant relationship that's not just, hey, it's nice to see you here at church, aren't they? And there he is at his house, and he's the one that washes out his wounds and gives him a meal. And then I want to skip to the final verse of the chapter. This is the last verse, I think, that um, Doug Davison preached last week. This is the way the chapter ends, verse 40. After leaving the jail, this is after the whole situation's over, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and departed. This is our verse for this morning, Okay. After leaving the jail, they came to whose house? Why were they at Lydia's house? Okay, you get out of jail. Why'd they go to Lydia's house? Because that's where they'd been living, right? And then they show up at Lydia's house, and who was there? It's interesting. It wasn't just Lydia and Paul and Silas and Timothy, right? They saw some people there. Who was it? The brothers. They went to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers, exhorted. Probably Paul did like teaching of, about Christianity to the brothers, Obviously, the word brothers here is being used to mean like fellow believers in Jesus, right? Christians, like God is our father, right? And then they departed to go to the next city. But before they departed, they went to Lydia's house and they met with the church, the other Christians in that town. Now, who are these people? Who are the brothers in Philippi? Who are the people who believe in Jesus in the city of Philippi? I mean, I don't even know for sure prior to this this visit of Paul and Silas and Timothy going to Philippi in Macedonia... I don't know if there were any Christians that were there. So maybe there were none. And then suddenly you have this story that takes place over many days. And then by the end of the chapter, there's a group of brothers meeting in a house as Paul is teaching them. Who are these people? Where'd they come from? And so um, Pastor Doug taught us last week, like he, he, he gave us a little list. Well, who are the brothers? And so this is what we know. Could you put the list up? Right, so we got Lydia. That's one of the people who's a believer in Jesus Christ in Philippi. Her, she's mentioned by name. We got Lydia's household. They were all baptized and seemed to be in on it. Now, who's that? How many people is Lydia's household? We don't know. Um, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, I'm guessing households back then on average were probably bigger than households are now. Modern day households seem to have like one adult, maybe two, and like one kid, maybe two, okay? 
Um, but that wouldn't have been the case back then. Back then, probably almost certainly at least two adults and multiple children, and probably, I would think in that culture, more extended family that would stay with people. It, wouldn't be, it would be more likely that your sister or your uncle or your grandma would be living with you. And even people who aren't related to you, who work for you, may be a part of your household. If you're the uh, town blacksmith, then you may have other people that are a part of your business and they live with you and they are part of your household. Or if you have a, own a farm, the people that work on the farm would also be part of your household. So we got Lydia, and we got Lydia's household. Maybe that's three people. Maybe that's a dozen people. We don't know. Then we got the jailer. We know he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And we have the jailer's household. Again, how many is that? I don't know. Maybe three, maybe 20. And then I put possibly here, because we don't know for sure, um, but Doug made these speculations, and, and I agree with him. He said, possibly the ex-demon girl would have been part of this church. The passage doesn't say specifically, but if you were a girl who was demon-possessed and then someone came and removed that demon from you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, might you convert to the same, might you start worshiping the same God that just rescued you from that? Yeah, it seems possible that she would be in on this. Um, Doug also said that it's possible that it could have been Luke, and he, he said that because of the pronouns that are in the chapter, remember that? That it's like us and we throughout the chapter, and then as soon as they leave to go to another city, it's they, they let us at Philippi, and then they left. And so Luke's telling the story, and he seems to be someone who stayed behind in Philippi while, while they left and went somewhere else, so maybe Luke. And then I add here possibly others, because, and this fits with what I've told you already in this series, Luke does not tell us every little thing that happens. When we read this account in the book of Acts, this is not everything that happened in the life of Paul. These are the highlights. When he went to Philippi, it was like, oh, here's some interesting stories. There's the Lydia thing. There's the girl with the demon. There's the guy that was going to kill himself. He tells those three stories, leaves out the kind of boring, just, uh, hey, do you want to believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. He just, I think some of those aren't in there, but they happened. Almost certainly stuff like that happened. Luke doesn't tell us everything, but there is a part in the story where it says he went around preaching about Jesus for many days. And so it seems very likely to me that there are other people in addition to this who became a part of these brothers in Philippi. So that's where we left off last week. So what I'd like to do now, that's the story, that's the present. Now let's flash forward. I want to go forward in the story and show you some things that happen later on that will help inform what's going on in this story. So first, let's go forward about maybe two to three years, okay, two years later. And this is what I'm going to do. Here I am. This is my Bible. So this is chapter 16. So I'm going to turn two pages. And we are now two or three years later. Okay? So Acts chapter 20. And the way that I know that Acts chapter 20 is more than two years after Acts chapter 16 is because if you read those pages that are in between, one of the many stops that's in there, the one that's in Ephesus, they stay there for two years. So if there's a multiple stop journey and one of the stops is a two-year stop, then we know for sure between chapter 16 and chapter 20, there are at least two years in there. But let's just say three to be conservative, okay? Three years goes by, and then we get to Acts 20, and look what happens in Acts 20. After the uproar was over, so now we're not in the present, we just jump forward a few years. After the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying goodbye, he departed to go to where? Macedonia. Now that's familiar. Where's Macedonia? What's in Macedonia? Philippi, right? Macedonia is the region. Philippi is in there. He departs and goes back to Macedonia. So he was in Macedonia, and he was with the Philippians, right? And then two or three years goes by, and he goes back to Macedonia. Look at verse 2. And when he had passed through those areas, he exhorted them at length. Oh, sorry. And exhorted them at length, he came to Greece. So he goes back to Macedonia, where Philippi is, right? And it says that he does what in that area? He exhorted them. 
Who's them? Who's the them that he exhorted in Macedonia? It doesn't say, right? But you could figure it out, isn't it? Right? Obviously, it's Macedonians, right? He went to Macedonia and he exhorted them, the Macedonians. What Macedonians? Well, I would guess very, very, very likely we're talking about the Philippians, the people that he, was, that he knew, the people that he was there in Lydia's house, and maybe other people, maybe other Macedonians as well that didn't know Jesus, because he was really into telling people who don't know about Jesus about Jesus. And he exhorted them at length, and then he went to Greece. Okay, next verse. And, stay, and so just notice, this is two trips to Macedonia so far, right? There's one, and then about two, three years later, second trip to Macedonia. Then leaves Macedonia again, goes to Greece, and stayed three months. I think that's referring to Greece, three months in Greece. And when he was about to set sail for Syria, that's another way of saying go home, about to go home, a plot was devised against him by the Jews, so a decision was made to go back through where? Macedonia. This would be the third time he goes there, right? So we've got... First time that he's in Macedonia with Lydia and the jailer and the girl and all that. Then we've got two or three years later, he goes back to Macedonia and exhorts them at length. And then we've got three months later, he goes back to Macedonia for a third time. Looks like the third trip wasn't really planned, right? But it just, oh, well, they're going to kill me. Maybe I'll take a different road. Okay, and so he goes to Macedonia and there's a third road. There's a third time that he goes to Macedonia. So let's go back to our list now. Who are the people, the Christians in Macedonia, the Christians in Philippi? Can I have my list? So we got Lydia, Lydia's household, jailer, jailer's household, possibly ex-demon girl, possibly Luke, possibly others. And then I add, possibly, still others in the meantime. That is, the second time that Paul went to Macedonia and exhorted them at length, there could have been additional people then who came to know Jesus and joined the church. And then the third time he went there, he probably preached, and there may have been additional people who believed him and joined the church. It also could be that the people, the actual Philippians or the actual Macedonians, told people about Jesus between trip number two and trip number three, and people joined the church. It could even be that they did that between trip number one and trip number two, when there was like two or three years in there. So very, very likely that even more people have now joined into this group. Now, having established that, let me do the big flash forward. This This one is the reason why, like, I'm doing this sermon. Like I, all everything I've said so far is to get to this. Okay, the big flash forward, which is about ten years later. So now we had the present day. There they are in the jail. Then we moved two or three years later. Now we're ten years before that. So we're now like maybe twelve, thirteen years from the original story when he first met them. And what what I want you to picture now is what's happening in the future from that perspective. Okay, ten, twelve, thirteen years later, Paul is in prison. Paul is in some sort of imprisonment, probably in Rome. A lot of people think Rome. And he writes a letter back to the Philippians, okay? The people in Macedonia, he writes them a letter. So so we can see something must have happened over these 13 years because here he is in prison and he's thinking about these people that he met over a decade ago and he wrote them a letter and we have the letter. Like to this day, we have the letter. It's called Philippians. It's in the Bible. So let me go ahead and read to you now from the book of Philippians. This is in the future from our story, Acts 16. And there he is, and this is what he writes. This is Paul writing to the Philippians, and I'm going to read to you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. This is after the greeting. This is the first official sentence of the letter. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. That's Philippians 1, 3. Now, isn't that an interesting verse? Isn't that a much more interesting verse if you know the story behind it? Like, this is the kind of verse that I feel like is so easy to glaze over when you're reading your Bible. Do you ever read your Bible and you go, okay, I'm going to read Philippians, pastor says I should. And then you get the Bible and then you, st- you read stuff, you know, I thank, to give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, blah, 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 blah. That's just Bible speak, has nothing to do with my life. Let's just get to something where somebody kills somebody, right? Like, so I, I feel like this is one of the, well, maybe that's when you're, 
in middle school. That's what I, when I was in middle school, try to find people, killing people in the Bible. It's fantastic. Anyway, so, um, so you, this is the kind of verse, though, even as an adult, don't you just glaze over these verses? I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. But if you know the story, you realize, no, this is a real person who's writing a letter, and he's thanking God because he's remembering some actual people. And we, can, we know enough of the story that we can speculate as to what he was remembering. When he says, I thank God whenever I remember you, what's he thinking about? He's probably thinking about the jailer who washed his wounds in the middle of the night. I thank God whenever I think about that story. I ever think about whenever I think about you, I think about how you took us to your house and gave us food in the middle of the night and washed our wounds. Every, every remembrance of you. I'm remembering when I baptized you, Lydia, in the river with your whole household, right? He could remember when he cast the demon out of the girl. When he says, I thank God when I remember you, he's actually remembering things. Maybe the second visit when he went back. We don't know what happened in the second visit other than that he exhorted them at length. But he remembers that. And then he went back a third time. He remembers all that. And he's saying, man, I thank God whenever I think back on all those stories, those real things that real people did. Verse 4, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Just get so happy when I think about you guys, right? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day being when he first met Lydia, right? Way back then, when I first told you guys about the gospel, you guys have been my partners in this missionary, let's tell everybody about Jesus and let's believe in him as our Lord. You've been my partners this whole time. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to think this way about all of you. Why? Well, I have all these thoughts about you. Why? Is this okay? Look. Because I have you in my, what's the word? Heart. Because I have you in my heart. Whenever I think about you, I get so excited when I think about those memories. And the reason I do is because I love you guys. I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's in prison somewhere, and he's going, man, I miss you guys. With the affection of Christ Jesus, I love Jesus, I love you, you love Jesus, you love me, I love Jesus in you, and you love Jesus in me, and man, I miss you. And so what I'm trying to let you kind of realize here is whatever took place in those first three visits to Macedonia, you can tell significant relationships formed, didn't they? Okay, while we're still in the flash forward, let's stay, same book, Philippians, now chapter 2. So we're still in the 10 to 12 years later. Same letter, and there's some names I want you to see. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be encouraged when I hear news about you. Right? I can't go visit you, I'm kind of stuck somewhere. But Timothy, I could send him, and then he could tell me how things are going with you. So I'm looking forward to, in the future, sending Timothy to see you. Now, when they read that, did they think to themselves, who's Timothy? No, because Timothy was there when Paul baptized Lydia in the river, right? He was there when the girl got the demon cast out of her. They know Timothy. They're, oh, that's our brother Timothy. You're going to send Timothy? Oh, that's awesome. We love Timothy. Timothy loves us. That's great, right? I'm going to send Timothy to you soon. That I may also be encouraged when I hear news about you. Look at verse 20. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. Timothy cares about you guys. Verse 21, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, right? Timothy loves Jesus. That's why he loves you so much. 
But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm convinced in the Lord that I myself will also come quickly. He thought he wouldn't be in there long. And then verse 25, here's another name. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Who's that? That's a person's name. Who's Epaphroditus? Well, he tells us, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And the way he uses those words, that's my brother, I think, is similar to they met in the house with the brothers. I think he's saying Epaphroditus is a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, right? And, and more than just a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, he's a, he's a fellow missionary here with me, supporting me and helping me in this mission. But then he says this, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your, what? Messenger. Your messenger. What does that mean? The Philippians lived in a town, a different town than the one Paul was imprisoned in. How are they going to talk to one another? There's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. There's no Instagram. There's no texting. How are they? People have to physically go and like hand someone a message. This is what they're saying over there about you. And so apparently Epaphroditus was the messenger. He had a gift and he had a message from the Philippian church. So when Paul was in jail, Epaphroditus goes up and says, hey, this is what they have to say about you. This is what we're talking about you. This is the stuff we got you. And so he says, I am now sending you, Epaphroditus, back to you because he, he's the messenger, which means, I don't know if you've thought this through, that means, so the book in the Bible that we have called Philippians, the reason we have it to this day, 2,000 years later, is because Epaphroditus took it to the Philippians and handed it to them. Like he's the one that physically went back home and handed it to them. And so that's why I'm, putting, I'm wanting to read this verse to you because I'm wanting you to realize when we talk about the brothers who are in Philippi, here's another name we got. He's one of them. Almost certainly he's one of them. In fact, look what it says. My brother, as well as your messenger, and minister to my needs since, so this is, I consider it necessary to send him to you, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. I got to send him. First of all, I got to send him because he's homesick, right? He's been longing for all of you. He wants to go home and be with you, the Philippians, right? He's one of you. And he heard that you heard that he was sick, which you know there's a whole story behind that right? This guy got sick, and then they heard that he was sick, and oh no, our messenger, and we sent him off, and we, I told you we should have sent someone that wasn't so fragile. What if he dies, you know, and what are we going to do? And so then he recovered, and then he's like, well, I'm, I'll let them know that I'm fine. I'm going to come home. So that, all that's going on here, right? Can't wait to go home. Tell them I'm fine. And then one more set of names I want you to see, still in Philippians, now chapter four. This is the final chapter of the book. Again, 10, 12 years after all the stuff we learned in Acts. Here it is. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So then, my brothers, you are dearly loved and longed for. My joy and crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And when you, hear this, when you read this guy saying, my brothers, dearly loved, dear friends, that's not just Bible speak. We know now he's saying that because he's writing a letter to his actual friends. And then look at the next sentence, verse 2. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. What is that about? So these are two female names, okay, Euodia and Syntyche. And he says to them, I urge you, Euodia and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Stop fighting. Apparently there were two women in the congregation um, in Philippi who were fighting about something. They were arguing about something. And he says, he, he speaks to them by name, Euodia and Syntyche, stop fighting, Right? Yes, I also ask you, true partner, remember that, that's going to come up later, partner, true partner, to help these women who have, who have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. 
What is going on here? What's going on here is there's these two women that are fighting about something, and he's writing a letter, and he, and he tells them by name to stop fighting. You want to know why he tells them by name to stop fighting? Because he knew them. He knew their names, right? He doesn't say, like, this is not as if Epaphroditus showed up and said to Paul, hey, there are these two ladies that are like bickering in our church and they're sort of ruining the whole vibe. Could you, when you write your letter, could you write a little like cut it out for them, right? And, and then Paul goes, okay, yeah, who, I don't know these people. Who are they? Euodia and Syntyche? Okay, how do you spell Syntyche? I'll write that down. That's not what happened here. These aren't people unknown to him. Look what he says. I urge them to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you to help these women, partner, right? Who are these women? They are women who have contended for the gospel at my side. It's not how do you spell syntyche. It's, oh yes, we were missionaries together. I don't know if that was trip one, trip two, or trip three to Macedonia, but somewhere in there, they were missionaries with him, supporting him in his ministry. So when he said, I want you to stop fighting, he's talking to people who are his personal friends, and he's saying, please stop this. Now, um, <laughs> you could ask the question, why are we learning all this? Like, you're just picking out these weird passages, Mario. Like, why do we need to learn about two ladies that fought, you know, had an argument 2,000 years ago? And the reason is, well, first of all, because I want, I think it's important for you to understand the Bible as it presents itself to us. And the Bible often presents itself to us in intensely personal ways and not just like an impersonal book of rules. When you look at this passage, it, this is not Paul saying, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, speaking to the church, impersonally, here are the rules, okay? Rule number one, don't fight in church. No, that's not what he does. He says, you Odian, Syntyche, stop that, please, right? He doesn't just give them a rule. What this passage is, rather than a rule, is one of Jesus' earliest messengers pleading with his people to stop fighting. And that is more powerful than a rule sometimes, isn't it? And so we've got to treat the Bible as it is. Like, you can't just treat it like a book of rules. Yes, there are rules in there, but it's not just a book of rules. You can't treat it like, um, like the instructions that come with the bunk bed that you bought at Ikea, okay, that are very impersonal. Have you ever gotten those before? Right? They don't ever say like, oh, Mario, um, you, I have you in my heart, right? There's no, it's like take board A, stick into slot B, right? It's the same thing to all thousand people that bought the same bunk bed and they don't care about your feelings, Okay? or anything about you, or they would make them, never mind, that's a personal issue. <laughs> the point is, that's not what the Bible is, it's not the spiritual version of that. We see Jesus' followers talking to people, in some cases by name, and saying, in the, in the name of Jesus, this is what we need to do. And so now that you know all that, let's go ahead and go to our final version of our list. Let's add all the names we just learned to our list. So we had Lydia, Lydia's household, jailers, jailers' household, all the possibilies, right? Luke, others, still others in the meantime. And then now we know some by name, right? Epaphroditus is one of them, right? The messenger that went back and forth. Euodian Syntyche, that's two more of them. They're both women. Clement is the name of one of them. He's mentioned in the same paragraph with Euodian Syntyche. And partner, I'm just calling him partner because that's the word that, that Paul uses. I don't know if his name was partner or if that was a nickname. Hey, help him, partner. I don't really know, but that's the name we have in the Bible. So whatever his real name is, I don't know. But obviously it's a person that was back then that was like, hey, help Euodian Syntyche out, please. And so this is a list as best as we can assemble with our Bibles, this is a list of the congregation at Philippi during its first, like, 10 to 12 years. And the reason I give this to you, I mean, there, it's not, there may be some 
not all of these people necessarily knew each other because this is something that took place over like 12 or 13 years. So it could be that um, Lydia died before Epaphroditus joined, right? Maybe they didn't know each other. Or somebody moved away. That's possible. There also could be overlap. For instance, the jailer, we don't know his name. We just know what he did for a living, right? Jailer. And then we got Clement. We don't know what he did for a living. We just know his name. It's theoretically possible that Clement is the jailer, right? Euodia could be a member of Lydia's household. Maybe that's Lydia's sister who lives with her. I don't know. Syntyche could be ex-demon girl. Like, we don't know. But as best as we can with the Bible that we have, this is what we come up with when we try to put together the list of the congregation at Philippi. And the reason I compiled this list for you, I realize some of you get jazzed about lists more than other people do, but the reason I did this for you, I like lists, Okay, but, but the reason why I did this for you is because I think there's something very powerful in seeing this. Not just reading my Bible and go, oh, Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians. They were in his heart. Who was in his heart? These people, real people with real names that lived real lives. And Paul really knew them. And he knew them by name. And he loved them. And he had evangelized them. And he had encouraged them. And he had left them. And then he revisited them. Latara, wherever you are, notice that. Revisited after the left. Okay. He, he left them. He revisited them. He exhorted them at length. And then he remembered them years later. He was in prison and he missed them. And he cared about them. And he prayed for them. Like them. People that he knew by name. And Timothy knew them. And Timothy cared about them. And the Philippians cared about Paul, and they sent him messages, and they sent him gifts, okay, at least one time, maybe more. No, certainly more than one time. They mentioned that in chapter 4. And the Philippians cared about Epaphroditus, one of their own, right? They cared about him when they heard he was sick, and he cared about them and wanted to be back home with them. And Epaphroditus cared about Paul and the work, that Christ, like the work of Christ that Paul was doing, and so he was a co-worker and helped him. And the Philippians, according to this book, are called Paul's partners in the gospel. And Euodia and Syntyche and Clement, in particular, were called Paul's co-workers in the mission of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying is when Paul loved these people, and this is what he thought about when he thought about the Philippian church, when he prayed about the Philippian church, when he remembered the Philippian church, what did he think about? He thought about real people and real memories and real things he'd done people he really loved, people he really worked with. So here's the big question. Is that what you think of when you think of church? Like when, when Paul thought about the Philippian church, we know what he was thinking about. What do you think about when you think of church? Back when I was in my 20s, I heard a pastor say this, the thing I'm about to read to you, and, and I thought it was good at the time, and I still believe it to this day. He said, in the Bible, church is not about showing up at a particular place at a particular time. Church is about being connected to a particular group of people in a particular way. So my question is, when you think of church, do you think of a service that you attend on Sunday mornings? Or do you think of people? Do you think of your people? Do you think of people that you know their names and they know your name? People who you are partnered with for the cause of the gospel. People that you love. 
people that you argue with, like you, Odie, and Syntyche, people that you forgive, and people who have forgiven you, people you care about when you hear that they're sick, and people that care about you when they hear that you're sick, people you encourage and pray for, people that you learn from. Because ladies and gentlemen, that is church. And if we gather together, but we don't partner together, if we attend together, but we don't love each other, then that's a problem. And so as I end, let me just get a little, give you some specific examples, because I think what I've said so far is the kind of thing that people might be like, mm-hmm, amen, pastor. Okay, good. I'm glad you feel that way. Buckle your church belts. <laughs> if that's true, then that should affect the way we live our life. And so let me start off with a real easy example first. If everything I just said was true, and of course I believe it is, or I wouldn't have said it, because of everything I just said, first of all, internet church is a problem, right? Yeah, since COVID, it has become much more popular to claim that you go to church online, okay? I have heard that so much more lately, more than I ever heard three or four years ago. You talk to somebody, hey, are you part of church? Yes, I am. Oh, really, which church? Oh, it's in Atlanta. I go online. And, and what that means, and it doesn't have to be this way, but typically, probably 99% of the time, what that means is you are alone in your bedroom, in your pajamas, and you open your laptop and you watch someone else preach a sermon. And there's no reciprocity in that. There's no one another in that. There's no relationship in that. Back in 2020, there was a woman who attended this church and then she left this church. And she decided to go to, decided she said, I'm going to be a part of a different church. I'm going to go to a different church. And she left and then she emailed me in 2021. And this would have been, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 months after the pandemic hit. And in the email that she sent me, she let me know that she was continuing to attend the other church and she specified that she was still attending her new church online. And I shared that story with one of the elders of this church. We were in an elder meeting, and they sa- he said to me, like, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? And I said, oh, yeah, I've heard from her. She sent me an email. She's attending a different church. She's been attending online. And the elder said back to me, and I thought this was very insightful, he said, oh, so no one at her new church even knows that she exists. Yeah, that's how it works. And I realize that some of us in this room can get real pious at this point, and we can go, well, not me. Not me. I'm here. Did you notice, Mario? I'm physically in the building. Okay? Not, not me. Right? I'm here. To which I say, yes, you are. Okay? Well done. But you do realize that you could do the very same thing while showing up in person, Right? Like I talked about this the last time that I preached here, that you can arrive late, you can leave early, you can hide in the bathroom for the whole intermission, you can not volunteer to help out with any of the ministries, you can not join a community group, you could show up every single week and still make it to where almost no one here knows you. And so this morning, I wanted to emphasize the relationships that were birthed out of the time the gospel arrived at Philippi. When Paul and Silas took the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's the Lord, he is the Savior. When, when the message of Jesus Christ arrived at Philippi, we now can see over the next 10, 13 years after that, what happened. 
relationally. Now that we have looked ahead in the story, we can go back to our story. And so here's our verse for the morning, Acts chapter 16, verse 40. Let me show it to you one more time, the last verse of the chapter. Now that we've gone ahead, we can look back at this verse. Can I have Acts 16, 40 up here? We can, we've gone forward, we know what happens, we come back and we realize, okay, here's the deal. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and departed. Now, with what we know, we can realize real friendships were forming. Real partnership in the gospel was beginning. This right here was the beginning of a church. Let's pray. God, before I ask you for anything, I just want to thank you. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for when the message of Jesus Christ is the Lord of the earth and is the Savior of sinners. When that message shows up, it creates families, groups of brothers who care for each other and have a love for one another that's different than it would have been had you never came, had you never reconciled us to you. And so we thank you for the gospel and we thank you that that happens. We thank you that you do that. And so I ask you in Jesus' name right now, for the people of this church, I pray that what would be true about us is that we would be people who love you and love each other in such a way that five years from now, if we were no longer living here, we would be able to write letters like Philippians. People who we could talk to by name. People that we care about and we pray for. People that we were partnered with in Ocala, for the mission of Jesus Christ. I pray you'd make us into the kind of relationships, even though we don't write letters anymore, that we would have the kind of relationships that if we wrote letters, we'd write these kind of letters. Because that's what has happened in our life. That's what I ask for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.